my plan, if I do go back to hospital, every professional I speak to, I'm going to let them know clearly, if you put me on a CTO, community treatment order, I will kill myself. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough, and when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So, one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations, and hopefully better conversations, with attempt survivors. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. There is another way you can reach out to us via a recorded message. You can find a link to that in the show notes as well as all kinds of other cool shit. Ways you can support the podcast. Ways in which you can hire us. Volunteering and of course our membership. We would love to have you join. Check it out and if you have any questions, reach out. However you are involved, however you participate, thank you very much. And please keep in mind, we do talk about suicide on this podcast, like the title suggests, as we do every Monday. Take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Jem. Jem lives in Australia, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Jem. Thanks for being here, man. I'm definitely in. I'm very keen. I'm actually, I'm not nervous about um, sharing things about me particularly. I'm nervous because we'll probably get to this later. There, uh, there are a bunch of ideas and perspectives I have, which I think are really underserved in this space. And I'm mm. just nervous to articulate them well. If they go out there, I don't want them to be misconstrued. I don't yeah. want to have thought I've done a bad job. So that's that's where the nerves are coming from, really. I get that. I get that. I get that in as much that I, if you've heard the podcast, you we might have different ideas, but I tend to have ideas that aren't particularly popular. And I'm always like, blah, 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 blah. I just want to make sure you understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying this. What I mean is this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Because we know how people will get, especially with this subject. Yeah, yeah. Heavy stuff. We're not just talking about having different views on like kind of tomatoes we like. <laughs> uh, it's 9.30 or so there, I think, in the morning. Now, at nine, when I get good sleep at 9, 10 in the morning, I am on fucking fire. That's when my brain is working really well. Is that how you are? Or are you more of the night person? Right. And this is hard. It doesn't matter how much sleep I get. The first four hours after waking up, I'm going to be in a haze. I could get 12 hours sleep or four hours sleep. I just don't operate until about one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> all right. all right. I have little doubt that we will be able to talk about this. When I say this, I really mean, we're really mostly talking about you, though we all share all kinds of things. So how does a uh, youngish man in Australia go about finding a podcast with the word suicide in it? How does that come about? Pretty straightforward. Put suicide into Spotify and and there you go. I will say I did have to go through a couple of other podcasts first because I didn't know exactly what I was looking for, but I knew yeah. what I wasn't looking for, which is mostly what I got, which Whoa. is very clinical kind of breakdowns of, mm-hmm. you know, these are the 
symptoms, if you want to call it symptoms or warning signs, and this is what you should do. And it's like, I didn't want that. I wanted a human connection. Um, I wanted people talking about it who had experience with it from a non-clinical point of view. So I was really almost specifically looking for something like your podcast. Another really good one for this is there's a network called Small Beans, and they have a series called uh, Tales from the Pit, and that is excellent. That's about all this stuff as well. That's really top. Is it all suicide attempt survivors or a little broader? It's what most people call mental health, but it gets real dark, but in in a conversational way. And I know this is a weird marker of something good, but people are happy to laugh about it, and I think that's really good. If you bring this up with so many people, they just like shell up and everybody's like oh my god and it's like i don't want that i just mm-hmm. just yes. want to be treated like a normal person please as i've done this longer and longer i have this list of things right it's not really a list but it's like one of the things i've sort of not only understood but really appreciated is people don't want to be treated like fucking children yeah why would they that makes no yeah. sense to begin with so let's not treat them like they're they're children or with kid gloves just have an honest conversation and sometimes we laugh fuck it Nobody's laughing at anybody's pain. Yeah, of course not. I mean, if they are, I wouldn't go on that fucking podcast. It begs the question of uh, why did you put the word in there in the first place? Um, So I was thinking about suicide a lot. I was feeling very suicidal. I think outside of even that, it's kind of an interest of mine. I'm very interested in what we typically call mental health. It is an interest, but at the time, yeah, I was was pretty suicidal. Well, I want to hear a lot about both. Can we start with more sort of first person lived experience stuff? Yeah. Can I ask, do you remember, this might be tricky, the first time you thought about ending your life, possibly saying that's an option? Uh, Kind of. Uh, I think in my uh, mid to late teenage years, I started thinking about that, but I don't really count it because I never thought about it at that time with intent. It just would be something that crossed my mind. You'd see a big truck go past and you think I could jump in front of that and you'd feel like you kind of want to as well but there's no shred of me um that thought maybe I'll do that uh so I don't really count it it was many years later that I first had intention yeah okay so let us talk about the attempts there have been two kind of attempts but there are reasons I don't count them and that that will become apparent and then there are two close calls Mm -hmm. I, I think roughly we can call it four attempts but I, I would fully be on board if somebody heard them and went none of those attempts. Uh, it's kind of, it's a, there's a gray zone with this stuff. There it's really awesome. is. Yes, yes. There really is. There really is. Do you think there are people out there listening that might think, fuck that. I tried. I, I jumped from a bridge. This guy didn't attempt. Do you think there are people thinking that maybe? Yeah, for sure. And all power to them. <laughs> it would be a different thing. Like I take that criticism. Yeah. Like they earned it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you're just like enough. kind of getting close, but you're not quite in the club. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But for our purposes, if we're going or we're, we're talking about the quote unquote attempts and or close calls, when's the first one? Maybe four years ago or three. I'm in a psychiatric hospital. I'm quite mad, properly mad. And I think I am extremely evil. I asked a nurse for something to give me to let me die and the weird thing is as far as i remember <laughs> she brings me a little like like a medicine cup you'd have for cough syrup but full of water and i drink that and i cannot make sense of this in retrospect because i wouldn't have had a hallucination that complicated like she definitely brought me this medicine cup full of water and i drank it 
I've I've got no idea what's going on there, but I asked for something to die. I was given something, which was water. Very mm-hmm. weird. So let's back up for a sec. Uh, why are you in the hospital? Because uh, I go mad. wasn't the first time I uh, had been mad, but yeah, I lose my mind. And what that means for me, it could mean a number of things, but mostly it's receiving a lot of messages from the world around me, thinking I can telepathically communicate, visual hallucinations, um, and just totally winding up with a wacky set of beliefs could be all sorts. So it doesn't sound like that was your first time in the hospital? Uh, no. Okay. And just to be super clear, what exactly or how are you defining mad? The commonly accepted term would be psychotic. It's not a term I'm fond of, but I don't take offense if people use it. And because I'm a little weird and I actually don't know much about that kind of madness, uh, are you mad right now? Not right now. I, right. I don't think so right now. Some people might hear some of my viewpoints and go, he's mad, but I'm not going, you know, <laughs> I'm not thinking there's demons out to get me or anything like that. So I, I think I've got my feet on the ground. I hope so. How do you, for lack of a better word, control and dare I say, even treat this thing, call it whatever you want? Good question. <laughs> this is where it gets really tricky. For significant okay. portions of my life, I've been on what I would call tranquilizers, what other people would call antipsychotics. I'm not right now. For significant stretches of my life, I also haven't been on when I've been meant to be on. Uh, so how do I control it right now? I keep check of myself and like warning signs, I suppose. Uh, I have like a, an action plan kind of thing. So it's broken down into a bunch of different areas. But if I have a train of thought, which is just uh, hurling along for several hours and I can't seem to turn away from it, then that would be a warning sign. And I'd have an action plan around what to do then, which would be like extreme distraction, which would be like some meditation stuff. But then there are other warning signs. There's other things. There's there's a whole bunch of different stuff, which kind of makes me go, oh, okay, I've I got to be careful about this and I need to do something about it. You have the awareness when it's happening, meaning you might be dipping into that episode, so to speak, but you still have the awareness to say, this is happening. You're not so lost in it. Uh, kind of. I mean, in terms of, you know, the phrasing like this is happening, for instance, if I have that trundling train of thought or another thing might be like extreme emotions on the one hand, you could look at that and go, this is happening. But on the other hand, you could go, I'm also a human being. And that's, it's not that unusual to have some extreme emotions sometimes. It's not right. that unusual to have a train of thought. But in my case, it's really hard to, to pair what, what's impending doom and what's right. just like having a rough day. So that was a few years ago. And that was the sort of first, we're calling it attempt. And you'd been in the hospital before, but I wonder what happens if, and this would be kind of fucked up if the nurse did this. But she's like, sure. And she goes and brings you a cocktail that would kill you. You would have drank yeah. that. You would have drank it. Yeah. You might be dead. Yeah, I might be dead. She'd be in jail, but that wouldn't bring you back from being dead. No. That's her job. She's not supposed to let you die. She's supposed to do what she's got to do. I get it. Yeah. But a lot of people in hospitals do great shit. So when I talk about it, it's like more, it's not only systemic, but yeah, it's systemic and there are some evil characters within it. But I don't think most of them start evil. They just are in a fucked up situation overworked yeah. underpaid this that the other thing they lose their fucking mind and they need a job yeah i, I think most of them have good intentions and that yeah. counts for a whole bunch doesn't count for everything but counts for a whole bunch if you ask me yeah even though when i dealt with one of them and i was in the hospital i literally would have killed him if i could have <laughs> no yeah. doubt about it and then i'd be in jail or in a long-term facility how long after is the sort of second you yeah. know same kind of stuff that the latter two which we'll talk about are yeah. different uh, these first two are madness attempts. 
So second one, same kind of stuff. I'm in the hospital. I am mad. I believe that my family and extended family are sending me psychic messages telling me you're too shit for this family and this world, mate, you need to kill yourself. I try to kill myself by holding my breath. Is that possible? No, no, it's not possible. Uh, But I count it as an attempt because I really tried. So yeah, I was sitting there holding my breath for a long time repeatedly, trying to hold it until I died uh, because I thought my family wanted me to die. Do you ever feel that way when you're not mad? I don't feel like they want me to die. I feel like a lot of them love me. I feel like I'm a, I imagine I am a difficult person to deal with. Because mm. people don't even know how to, well, is that true? I was going to say people don't know how to have a conversation with me because there's been so much fucked up shit in my life. Nobody wants to talk about madness. People just avoid it. So they try and have small talk with me. I'm rubbish for small talk. Sorry, I'm going to rewind that. I think I'm doing them a disservice. Um, so I think some of them have really tried and done a good job. I think the short answer is in the scope of my family, I do kind of feel like a failure and I feel like a difficulty and I can feel like a burden. Yeah. Hmm. So we had the request of something to kill you in a hospital Yeah. and the holding of breath. Was that also, that was also in a hospital if I'm not mistaken. That's also in a hospital. Yeah. All right. Uh, what happens when one repeatedly holds their breath with an intent to die? Not much. Like eventually your body just kicks in and breathes for you, you know? Now, I think it's literally impossible, but you know, I gave it a shot. I got it out there, gave it a shot. Now, you don't need me to tell you this, but that's definitely a suicide attempt if you had any question. It doesn't matter that it was so unlikely to work. You wanted to die and then you took action. That's an attempt, bro. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I don't know why that's nice to hear. It's kind of nice to hear. I count those two kind of differently because I was mad, because it's like some people say when you're mad, they say, well, it wasn't you, you weren't yourself. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. In the context of what I'm saying right now, I kind of discredit those accounts because I think, uh, sorry, those attempts, because I think, well, it wasn't me. I was in this fancy world where there were forces very strongly willing me to kill myself. But the me, as far as I'm concerned, is the same me. Um, and that that's where I kind of find it hard to make it comparable to a more traditional suicide attempt might, uh, someone might have. Mm-hmm. But no, I think you're right. Absolutely attempt. Will to die. Trying to die. Yeah. So that, was, I mean, that wasn't that long ago. No. We're not talking about when you were a little kid here or a teenager. <laughs> no. And what about the close calls? Tell me about them. This is mid last year, and I had come out of hospital for being mad, and I was on uh, tranquilizers or antipsychotics. I was not enjoying that, mm-hmm. and I didn't have much hope for my future. The tranquilizers is wild stuff; they really, they really mess you around. Yeah, I just wanted to end it. It was some, it was the no hope and no joy aspect. Uh, mm-hmm. So I bought a rope. Started looking in the local park for appropriate trees, started experimenting with things in the house, seeing if there's anything I could get it tied to. And then I told people I did this and I was sent back to hospital. We know what happens when you tell people. Back to hospital. Now, you weren't mad then, then. No. I imagine it's a little bit of a different experience then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually, I think, my longest admission ever. I was in there for two months for depression. They told me, antidepressants going to work for you. I said, I don't think they are. <laughs> I think I've got some real problems here. Not to say that people with real problems can't be helped by antidepressants, but I strongly felt like it's the circumstances of my life which are kind of depressing here. Mm. Uh, and the fact that I'm tranquilized, um, antidepressants aren't going to help. They mm. said they would. 
So they tried me on that and were astounded when over two months didn't really make much of a difference. Yeah, and they didn't do much else for me, really. Um, they tried to get me into behavioral activation, which is a cognitive behavioral therapy thing. At a certain point, they said, this is the model we think is going to work for you. Mm -hmm. And behavioral activation is basically uh, a way of saying the behavior will change the feeling. But if you really like strip it down, it's a way of saying, get off your ass and do something, get out of bed and you'll feel better. Go and do something and you'll feel better. That didn't really work for me either. I think that it's a very small bone I have to pick with it. Um, But I think the (laughs) bone I have to pick with it is that CBT, I heard somebody on a podcast refer, refer to it as being essentially Western folk wisdom. That really, if you look at any course of CBD, it's usually something like, uh, think more positive, think more positive. And we're going to practically give you ways to think more positive or get out there and give it a go. When you strip it down, it's it's the same kind of stuff that people say to you over a casual conversation. And I just prefer it delivered without all the pomp and circumstance and the, this is scientifically tested, this and that. Just tell me what it is. If I need to you know, think more positive, then you can tell me in those terms and we can work on it. But I, I think there's a kind of, it's framed in this hyper-legitimacy where I think actually it's it's all pretty simple stuff. Yeah, I think I've had a lot of, um, what do you call it, psychology over the years. And, and for me, at least, um, I've found infinitely more helpful talking to people who actually know me, who just have a conversation with me. I've always found that more helpful. It's because yeah. they can get deeper, they can get more nuanced, they can get, they say the same stuff. They might essentially be saying, you know, you need to get moving and you know, not just fall over when you're sad or or whatever, but they can they have a conversation with it on that level, um, speaking casually, uh, and and they really know you and they really care about you. So I, I I have found anything that psychology could have done for me, I've found much more useful in the, the people that I know and love. That's an interesting point. First attempt, request for poison. I'm using the word poison. Second attempt, try to hold your breath. So what's interesting here. Method, different method, different method, almost hanging yourself. Mm. Now we're getting to the fourth close call, which has to be somewhat recent. So the question is, is it a different method again? Um, It's just kind of, I'm intrigued. I like the way you set this up. Yeah, I think this is less an attempt. Um, I think this isn't technically attempt, but I'm counting it because it's something like one. This is the most I've ever been sure about it and like, yep. I, in under these circumstances, I will do this. Mm. And where this comes from is after six months of being on uh, tranquilizers or antipsychotics, mm. I realized if I have to live on these, I, I would definitely prefer not to live very strongly, rather be dead than live tranquilized. So I start kind of planning it out much more methodically before. I'm like, for me, and I, I, still have this as a plan you know my my number one preference is fentanyl the question a lot of fentanyl the question is where where to get that i'm not sure about that uh, number two if that doesn't work out there's a place in sydney called the gap big cliff go over the gap but i i, I basically got to this place where if i had to live the life that doctors would very strongly say that i do have to live i am definitely not living that life i do not want it i am out thought all right i'll kill myself and then the closer i got to Killing myself tomorrow is like, okay, it's madness, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna fucking try this again. Let's get rid of the med. Let's go around again. Let's bring myself back to my personality. And at least then, even if it all goes wrong, I can be myself a bit before I die. When was that? This was like three or four months ago. Mm. Do you ideate almost every day or every day? Yeah. Uh I have casual ideation. So I have a lot of like 
the truck goes past and you go, I could jump in front of that truck. You have a lot of just imagining yourself hanging from things, a lot of imagining that cliff. But uh, for all the ideation, I don't really want to do it right now. I'm not particularly interested. What I think about more is, okay, if I'm put back on antipsychotics uh, or tranquilizers, as I prefer to call them, then I've got to do it. And I worry about that. And that hangs over my head. Like at the moment, I'm very much in this place where I worry that I could be nearing the end of my life and I'm not having a particularly fun time. And that bums me out. Can you share with me and people who are hearing this what it's like? You don't want to be alive if you're on those tranquilizers. What's it like to be on those tranquilizers? Right. Love it. Okay. This is what I think a lot of people really need to hear. Not like this for everyone. For me, first, it significantly inhibits your thought, slows down your thought. So you're going to be significantly dumber. You're not going to be able to keep up in conversation like you could previously. Those social skills are going right out the window. Um, You're a lump now. There's the emotional side. You can't feel emotions like you did. I'm really into music. It's just the most mind-blowing, beautiful thing to listen to music that I love. If I'm tranquilized, uh, tranquilized, it does nothing for me. Uh, Sense of humor goes because you don't have the wit for a sense of humor. Mm. Um, Sex drive disappeared, gone. And when you think about those factors together, particularly like you're dumbed up, you're emotionally numbed up, that impacts every area of your life. You know, uh, during being tranquilized, I would see my friends and spend time with them and it would be horrible. I felt like a dead weight and I got nothing out of it personally. And these are people that I love and have had incredible times with in the past. And it's like, no, you can't have that good time anymore. You can't have that. You can't listen to your music. You can't really engage with a book. You can't realize your potential in terms of anything really you know that Um, you used to be funny and you ain't funny you know that you used to have a little game with whoever you're attracted to you have no game there are a couple of ways i've thought about it usually when i'm having a conversation like somebody will say something and you have several thoughts and you can chase any of those directions and go oh let's go down this this avenue and you can get engaged and dig into what they think um, on tranquilizers, just no thoughts, just nothing. And you have to really struggle to think of anything to say. On tranquilizers, I've realized I can only think straight. And I don't mean I can only think sane. I mean, there are ways of thinking that are the most obvious way, the first thing that comes to your mind. And for me in this context, that's thinking straight. When I'm not on tranquilizers, I can think curly. And that means more creative. It's just not the the first thought, the most dominating force in my mind. There are other forces which have their which can have their say. So that's a bit weirdly articulated. Um, mm. Another way to put it is I often think of like David and Goliath. And if Goliath is all of the shit in my head, which are the negative, depressing thoughts, and David is what fights against that, if I'm not tranquilized, David has the dexterity to kind of like jump around and and navigate that and take on the big Goliath. If I am tranquilized, it's like they both have heavy sandbags on all of their limbs. Goliath can still throw a punch. David can barely move. So the big depressing thoughts which dominate my mind, perfectly easy to access. Challenging those thoughts, much more difficult because I don't have the wit to do it. Does does that make any sense at all? None of this is going to be perfectly sensible because this is very challenging. This is like a hard things to communicate, but yeah. I think it's going to make as much sense as it can based on what you just said. Yes. Okay. Does it make sense yeah. to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. I mean, I'll listen back to it. If it makes no sense, I'll cut it out, but it's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I actually sometimes think when people are talking about these experiences and they're not perfectly clear, that's okay. Right. I, mean, I yeah. know that might not sit well with you, but it, that's okay. This is really hard stuff sometimes to <laughs> articulate. 
before your first attempt, you were in the hospital. It wasn't your first visit. It sounds like most of your life, at least your adult life, has been challenging. Hell yeah. (laughs) Several hospital attempts, a few close calls. And my question is, from a pragmatic perspective, how does one live when you're bouncing in and out of a hospital? You're You're on and off meds. And these meds have serious side effects. You just told us about them. How do you find any cadence or consistency or stability, or do you just not? You know, when I'm when I'm well, I'm well. Like as it stands at the moment, and for most of my life out of the hospital, I'm functional enough. I'm I can certainly perform a job pretty well. I have friends, so those things have really interrupted and derailed my life in a lot of ways. In that, you know, you get knocked out of a semester of uni, or you leave a job or it messes with some of your friendship relationships for the most part you just have to get back on and get on with it because when i am in my right mind and well and non-tranquilized well i was going to say when i am that i'm fine i'm not fine but i'm all right i'm functional enough i can make it work life is hella challenging but i just do what i can right because you have and you're not you're not unique in this but a lot of people don't have this thing where I went into the hospital. I don't know what kind of work you do, if it's super flexible, but all right, I lost my job. Now I'm not only out of the hospital, I got to find a fucking job. All of these things, a lot of people just, they don't have to deal with that shit. And I'm not going to get on the whole life is unfair, but it is. Like, And the reason is because sometimes you go mad. Can we simplify it to that? Is that fair? Yeah. yeah I, I love that phrasing. Yeah. So it's like, that's fucking bullshit. I hate, no one gives a fuck what I think. I know. Yeah, I know. Nothing's fair. I get it. That's fucking hard. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. It's really, yeah. yeah, it's really awful. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. As far as I'm concerned, the biggest impact it's had is uh, I was recently in a three-year relationship, which I left because my partner was a bit older than me, mm. ready to have a kid. And I was just like, I am not well enough to have a kid. Ooh, and yeah. I love this person more than I've ever loved anyone. I did not know I was capable of a love this large and overwhelming you know my madness has taken that away from me and i made that call i, I went i'm t- i'm not well enough but still as far as i'm concerned that is the biggest derailment of my life and that is directly due to madness as far as i'm concerned and that is fucking tragic horrible yeah are you the kind of person that when you see other people who probably aren't dealing with this and are in presumably long-term wonderful relationships or have that you know, steady climb of the career and they're, you know, they're making bank and they're getting, do you ever want to kill them? (laughs) I don't want to kill them. I don't want to kill them. I am very envious. My friend has a theory that everybody has uh, a central sin of the seven deadly sins, which they have one sin, which dominates them. And she says for her, it's pride. For me, if that's true, it's definitely envy. And I think it makes sense coming from where I'm coming from. I am so envious of other people. It's 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 insane, but I don't want to kill them, no. Okay. Maybe I should start with, are you envious and see if it leads to killing? <laughs> starting with killing. I'm just trying to make people feel a little better. I mean, all right, at least they don't want to kill them. Yeah, hey, maybe it'll make me feel better. Maybe I should entertain those thoughts. No. Nope. But then the doctors would ask me about it and they'd lock me up. So Correct, they would. Did you say you, you have bones to pick, right? Hell yeah. I might actually use that as a segment on the show. Can I use that? (laughs) Yeah. 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 We've kind of gone in and out a little bit without explicitly asking for them. You had said earlier that it's the circumstances in your life more than anything else that's making you have these thoughts of not wanting to be alive. 
What are the circumstances you're specifically referring to that make you think sometimes, I think I'd rather not be alive? According to what most medical professions would predict for me, and according to what I probably think is likely as well, I am facing two possible futures. Mm -hmm. One in which I'm tranquilized for the rest of my life. The other in which I regularly go mad and can't have the things I want out of life, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. and just going regularly going mad. It's no fun. I don't want to do that. Uh, And in a different world, in a world more set up to accommodate these things, I could want that. But in our society, I don't want to be regularly going mad. So that's some heavy circumstances to deal with. I don't know how I'm meant to look into my future and be like, yeah, that'll be all right. It's like, no, it's fucking tranquilization or madness. Uh, So I'm going to be clear about something. Are you suggesting that part of the madness is circumstantial? Because I feel that way about my life. I tell people all the time. You want to one of my biggest problems is every fucking day and night I'm here in this little shitty home alone. Get me right. out of this fucking space and you will watch me do a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Now, some people would say, well, it's chicken egg. Well, take the meds, go to therapy, yeah. then you find the friends and the family you need so badly. Sure. Yes. Okay. So we could do this dance all fucking day long forever. For sure. And I'm just saying sometimes you need to pick up, not you, one needs to change shit if they can. So if the circumstances were different and I don't know what that might be, like you're in a different city or you're, I don't know, but you still had the same genetic chemical makeup. Would you potentially be able, even if that type of place is like make believe parallel universe, I don't care. Okay. Yeah. Would you, it doesn't need to be called like Perth or London. Um, Would you maybe thrive there or at least not be faced with just this one option or the other option? Both seem really bad. Um, I don't think it depends so much on where I might B, I think for the most part, I'm going to be facing those two options regardless at this point. I do think there's hope for something outside of it. There's lots of people who have been hospitalized with madness many times, who have had heavy diagnoses, who got better without meds. There's a lot of them. It's hard proportionally to know how likely that is or, or how many are out there. But the, the more I've dug, um, the more I've found there are a lot of these people. So that is a glimmer of hope. In terms of changing my circumstance to alleviate madness, I don't know how that would work. Uh, I think the bind I'm in is, other than taking basic care of myself, I don't really know how to alleviate the madness because it can come on very quick and you can get real mad in a couple of days. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that changing circumstance would change that much, but I do think it is possible to recover fully. What is happening when when one goes mad in, internally? Do you have any idea what is actually happening? Um, I think I got a better idea than most of the doctors do. Great, great tell. Here we go. I would say it's kind of like a. There's probably some chemical shit going on, right? Mm-hmm. But there's chemical shit attached to everything. If I pick up my coffee cup here, then that was chemical signals. So you reducing everything to chemical stuff doesn't help that much. Um, what's going on? Uh, I think it's you might have a propensity to madness due to several things. Trauma in childhood can make a big difference. I lost my mother when I was five. If you lose your mother under eight, you are 12 times more likely to have psychosis later in life. And then I was also pretty badly abused in my teenage years. All of that will make it more likely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So you have a mental weakness to it. What actually happens, I can't tell you how it arrives or how it occurs, but when you're in that space for me, it's as if, the barrier between thoughts and beliefs gets very shaky. You tend to believe a lot of your thoughts. Your thoughts are getting really weird. 
Mm. They come thick and fast. And those thoughts are going to reflect things within your psyche. You know, for me, there's a lot of self-hatred in there. There's a lot of shame. And that stuff is going to come out and be expressed in ways that you believe absurd things to do with them. I hope that makes sense. Hard to articulate. Do you think if I were to watch, if I saw you in your daily life and you were in the first couple of days of being mad, would I see you and say, hmm, that dude needs help? First couple of days, maybe not. You might get a vibe. You might notice that my eyes are a bit wide. I'm a bit hypervigilant. But that could just could be a really stressed dude. After the first couple of days, yeah, you probably notice. I could be doing some crazy shit. I could be running through the park with no shoes, with my arms outstretched, or God knows what. The only place for you to go when you're in the throes of being mad is the hospital. Yeah. There is no other place to go. No. I mean, I could take myself somewhere, but I don't think it would go well or help much. Yeah. I mean, look, if you were uber wealthy, sure, you could have some fucking island you could go to and sure but who, who the fuck has those options so you go to a hospital here here's my little here i go here i go bring it on and it might be different in australia where or where you are in australia where they're probably quite good at making it very difficult for you to kill yourself they can play with meds not to sound dire because you've been living it so my words won't change your life but where is the fucking hope in that <laughs> Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, somebody tell it yeah. like it. Where's the hope in what? In in my life or well, in the hospital? System? I don't mean in your life. I mean if if we know that you're going to be mad from time to time. Yeah. Does this happen a few times a year? I'm guessing. No, it happens about once every year. Okay, and it lasts for how long? Uh, about a month. But you know you're going to go to a hospital as long as you can live your life around that. Because I think what you said earlier, I think it might have been more specifically around being tranquilized, though I, for a lot of people, this is just their life. No joy and no hope is the recipe for killing yourself. That literally is what it is. Yeah. Like if there's one pattern I've seen and having done this for almost three years, I could actually say 10 things that probably are all applicable, but yeah. no joy. If you zoom out, no joy, no hope. What's, what's the point? Yeah. Check that's out. what's happening. Yeah. Now you add five years to that. When you accept that this is what it's going to be like. And oh, by the way, I would say most people are right. Others yeah. would say, no, you know, just do this. Just so that it's going to get better. I say, you know what? You're not right most of the time. That is fucking heavy shit, Sean. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Like, I don't want to dissuade anybody from, I don't want anyone to give up or, you know, I don't, yeah, I'm yeah. not saying what anybody should no, do, no, 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 but let's so. just fucking keep it real. If you've been struggling for 10 fucking years, I think a logical way of thinking about the next 10 years is I might be struggling. It might not change much. Fair? Yes. I like that as a starting point, just because then we could have a real conversation as opposed to there's always going to be a new medication coming out. There's right. always going to be another doctor you could see. Look, uh, I think the difficulty for me, I could be bouncing in and out of hospital every year. And a part of me would consider accepting that as a life and not killing myself. Right. If I go back, as I have been in the past once. Uh, but if I go back, I will be forcibly long-term medicated. I will be forcibly medicated oh. indefinitely. They call it a community treatment order. I call it forced drugging because that's what it is. So yeah, they'll inject you every month. If you don't go, they'll get the cops to pick you up and they'll, they'll inject you anyway. So th this is what I face. And my plan, if I do go back to hospital, every professional I speak to, I'm going to let them know clearly, if you put me on a CTO, community treatment order, I will kill myself. And I'm letting every professional I see know that. 
so that if that time comes, they know that their decision to do that, even if they were bound by whatever bureaucracy binds them to doing that, led to me killing myself. Uh, so that's my plan if I do go back to hospital. What? Forgive me for moving in this direction, but what a, <laughs> what a fascinating, almost philosophical quandary for them. Yeah. Dude. I'm not trying to hurt people, but they need to know, like, they will be forcibly drugging me. I mean, considering what I've said about what those drugs do, right? Yeah. It is really dystopian. I think we need to, as a society, consider it with a bit more weight. People generally are very much behind it. I think uh, they should think twice about that if they consider what these drugs actually do. I don't even know if we have that here. I should check that out. You, you do. I got to get my shit together. I got to learn need more mad people on the podcast. I've always thought that. I'm happy to. Where the fuck are they? <laughs> the only thing I do is do the podcast and then people reach out to me. So maybe as a percentage, mad people don't listen, can't listen, don't want to talk about it, don't reach out. I don't know how to find them. I do the podcast. You hear the podcast and you or somebody you know that you tell about them reaches out to me. If you're a suicide attempt survivor or identify that way, meaning maybe you ideate a lot, that's fine. You're eligible. I would never say no to anybody. I know this isn't why you're here, Jim. I just feel like this is almost my PSA. Right, go for it. I'm a suicide attempt survivor. I want to talk. Boom. We're scheduling a time to talk. Just so you know, that's for you, everyone out there, whether you're mad or not. But Jim and I would like some more mad people. <laughs> like that term, it's not mine. It's Jeff. I didn't come up. Yeah, it's getting reclaimed. Actually, that's a mad movement. A bit like queer. Oh, okay. yeah. So, what other bones do you have to pick? So many. Okay, this is where I can ramble. Let's start with the diagnostic system and the conceptualization of what we call mental illness as mm. a medical thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have the scientific grounds for this. This is a harder fight for me with my kind of shit with madness. Um, but take it on the level of depression. I do not see what makes depression a medical illness. And I think it is not helping to frame it in that way. I think pretty much anyone who is really miserable for an extended period of time, we say, okay, you've got this medical illness called depression. What is not, legit about, um, not legitimate about being really sad for an extended period of time? A lot of people have reasons to be really sad for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. If you're really happy for an extended period of time, or if you go through the experience of falling in love, we don't call that an illness. Why do we call extreme misery an illness? I don't think it's helping. That's one bone. I want more bones. Okay. Not a fan of psychiatry, obviously. I think a lot of psychiatrists and the people who support them in terms of in the medical industry mm -hmm. uh, are often very arrogant and ignorant. I was assured, for example, that you know, um, antidepressants would fix my depression. It didn't. All the times I moaned about the way that tranquilizers were making me feel, I was told again and again that this is depression. What you're explaining is depression. I said, I've had mm. depression before. Mm. This feels different. I'm pretty sure it's not. No, no, it's depression. As soon as I come off the meds, it goes away. So as far as I'm concerned, that's very dishonest, very misleading. Some might even say criminal. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of gaslighting. It's really- Oh, it's that kind of gaslighting, then? <laughs> is that kind of gaslighting? Come on. These drugs aren't doing that to you. No, it's all in your head. Uh, but then even if you look, if you look up these drugs on the internet, any legitimate, well, legitimate, I don't think they're legitimate, any kind of medical website, the places you're meant to look will list the side effects. And it'll be like constipation, headaches. And it's like, then you go to the review sites of the drugs where it's just everyday people. And they're going, I feel like a zombie. Yeah. I don't have feelings anymore. 
I can't think straight. And the doctors will give you these and they won't tell you, they, they won't raise any of that. They won't say that this might happen. And if you say this is happening, they'll dismiss it so quickly. It's not funny. People are going to be very skeptical of this, but please just look it up. This isn't even fringy. Antipsychotics over time shrink your brain by a significant amount. No patient has ever been told that. I think that's important for informed consent that we know that if you take them long term, they will literally shrink your brain. Mm. Sounds crazy, I know. It's even on the Wikipedia page. Like, wow. Well, and just remind this is a bit of a, a apples and oranges, but it reminds me like, why is it not clear that if you call a 1 800 hotline, if you answer these questions, yes, 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 we're going to send you to a hospital probably, or someone's going to have a visit to your home? It feels like it's trickery almost. Yeah. Like, I don't know how that would be framed and how you'd articulate that, but you don't see it in any marketing. You don't see it in any literature. You don't see it on the website. They don't say beforehand, hey, you know, I'm going to ask you these questions. It's important that you know. Why would you not be clear about that? Lack of transparency, which is just everywhere in this, all of this stuff we're talking about and gaslighting. Yeah. 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 And I think the reason they don't tell you is because if they did, you know, you, you, you might not cooperate with them. And it's the same with, like tranquilizers, if they told you what that shit did, far few people are going to take them. Right. Okay. There's a thought that I'm not going to be able to complete here. That That's a weird way to approach this. It's not a, I would see that I could tell they would disagree with this, but that seems like not a humane way to approach it. Not trying to yeah, simplify it. I know sometimes people take meds, they don't want to take them and they benefit them. I know sometimes People are scared. They call a hotline. They answer honestly. And it was best that they go to a hospital. I'm, I'm, I, I agree. I still don't see why it's not transparent. Maybe I'm sort of a utilitarian. Maybe there would be people who wouldn't call or wouldn't take them and we'd lose them. There would be far yeah. more people that would be treated well and have some dignity. There would be far more people that would be served. It's so complicated because you yeah, can kind of see why they do it. But it, it, yeah, yeah, it's so complicated. But speaking about inhumane, if you've yep. got diagnoses like I do, then the way that you're going to be viewed by professionals in the field is extremely dehumanizing and largely takes away your agency because you'll be seen even now. And I hope I've made sense today. I hope I seem like I have the feet, my feet on the ground. But so many people can so easily say, oh, that opinion that you have is a part of your illness. And it's so dismissive. Another way it's dehumanizing, I was I like to try to listen to the other side. So I listen to medical accounts of these things and I, I read up on them. And I was listening to a podcast the other day by some psychiatrists. It was a podcast specifically on injectable uh, antipsychotics. And when they started the podcast, we said uh, they said, um, you know, welcome to the listeners or whatever. You might be psychiatrist, you might be psychologist, you might be somebody who loves somebody or knows somebody who's having this treatment. And that's what they said. Doesn't seem like a big deal to me. What they're leaving out there, you, yes. Yes. And here's the thing. If it were for any other thing we consider a medical treatment, if it was for eczema, for depression, for cancer, in that welcome, they'd say, maybe you're taking this treatment. Mm. They say on a fucking psychiatrist podcast, they miss those people because we're not meant to be part of the conversation. The people who love us are meant to be part of the conversation. Us, no, we're too mad to have a say. We shouldn't even be informed about it. That's the kind of mentality which is insidious and spreads through the whole industry, and I fucking hate it. They make you an invalid. Honestly, when I was in hospital for depression, they told me, (laughs) 
my psychiatrist told me not definitely not to get a full-time job she said you're not capable of a full-time job part-time at most part-time at most and i said no i think i need a full-time job i think it'll right. make me feel better about myself right, right and she actually got really frustrated with me and she explicitly said i'm getting frustrated i'm getting annoyed i'm your medical <laughs> professional you should listen to me you can't do a full-time job the week i'm out of the hospital i get a full-time job i'm consistently considered a star employee i've been told that about five times since i started that i'm at the top of the pack i was told i was incapable of this by the fucking medical professional right 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 time and time again it's the same with them saying like that it's not the tranquilizers that make me feel a certain way it's depression it's the same as them saying antipsychotics uh, sorry antidepressants would work to lift my depression every time i've gone I don't think this is the case. And they've shut it down and gone, look, you're not a professional. I've been fucking right. Really don't think they know what they're talking about. No, I think that's fair. I'm sure sometimes they get it right. Yeah, yeah. And there are good ones out there. I've had a couple. If time and time again, you're saying, no, I said this. Look, look, literally, you're not making this shit up. Yeah. This isn't like something you're just like a delusional thing. You actually have a full-time job. You could literally, not that you would do this, but you could prove I'm doing very well there. Knock, knock, knock. I'm back. Want to let you know, maybe if they heard that shit enough, they might be like, oh. Actually, look, if I do somehow miraculously recover from this without medication, I'm going to send letters to, you know, five, 10 years down the track to every professional that's worked with me that I can dig up on them. Because the first thing they'll tell you with my kind of stuff is, this is chronic, this is for life, you will need to be medicated for life. So if I get out of this, I will be letting as many as I can know, actually, wasn't the case, but fingers yeah. crossed for that. How long do you have to be not in a hospital and not feel mad to feel like you've made it there? Five years of dirt for me, I reckon. And a few months ago, you felt this way. So you got four and a half years plus to go. <laughs> well, a few months ago, it was for depression. Okay. And I was tranquilized. I wouldn't count being tranquilized as part of that time because mm -hmm. I'm not going to go mad when I'm tranquilized. It's actually quite effective to keeping you not mad because you're basically non-functional anyway. It just shuts your brain down. Is this fair to say all they want is for you not to go mad? They'll do anything to do it short of killing you. Yeah. 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 And where they can, and I don't know if I'm right here. Clearly, I don't know a lot about the world of madness. I think where they can say something that's very hard to dispute, even if it's completely invalid, is you're you're potentially not just a harm to yourself, you're a harm to others. Yeah. The moment you become a harm to others, forget about it. Yeah. That being said, I think somebody who's truly going mad, I do think they do need help. I just think that the help we're giving them is absolutely shockingly inept. Um, what would you yeah. do differently? What would I do differently? I would, all right, firstly, don't make it a medical thing. I would have at least half of the staff dealing with people in these states be people who have been through it themselves. Mm. I think that would be very positive. Uh, there was a thing run in America, I think in the 70s, called Sorteria Houses, which were non drug treatment centers, basically. And they were much more open and free than a hospital, a hospital where they won't let you pour your own coffee, you know, because it's too dangerous to pour a coffee. It won't be caffeinated coffee anyway. Make sure it's decaf because caffeinated will make you go crazy. So Sorteria House was much more open. Yeah, it was just somewhere you could go to kind of like ride it out, connect yep. with some other people. And I think that's what people need in these states. Like for me, the upside of hospitals is they gave me somewhere to go. And that's actually really important. Practically everything else they did was shit, but they gave me somewhere to go and people need somewhere to go. Uh, and people may need drugs in the short term. I'm not against tranquilizers, just 
in the short term. I Here's my take. For every X number of people, patients, let's train them to be professional listeners. Only thing they're doing is listening actively, right? I don't know how many people you can pull off in a day. Maybe you get assigned to 10 or five or two, or I don't know. So that person always has, or often has somebody, at least one person to really have a conversation with. Fucking guarantee that helps. I don't know enough about being mad versus being other things. I know it's not so straightforward. Try that shit, see what happens. No, I think that is straightforward. I think that's absolutely right. I would hope that you wouldn't find too many people who would disagree with you on that. People have been through it. I think they'd all agree with you. How many people know that we're talking? My dad knows, my best friend knows, I mentioned it to my brother, and potentially everyone will know because I'm thinking about putting this out on my Facebook page. So I think you kind of answered this question. I was going to ask you the likelihood of you being alive, let's say uh, 2025. It's a really tough question. Uh, For the most part, I have thought it will be unlikely. Last couple of days, I've been feeling a bit better. I've been a bit more hopeful. So maybe I wouldn't give it better than a 50-50. I'd probably say unlikely, yeah. How many people do you have in the entire world to have a really good conversation with? Three. Which is pretty good, I think. The fact that you know the exact number is telling. (laughs) They stand out. Yes. Yes, they do. Uh, How many people know about any of your close calls or or attempts? Nobody knows about the ones which I went through during being mad. I think a fair few people know that I got a rope and started messing around with it. Yeah. And anyone who asks, I'm happy to share. With the way my life has gone, I realized a long time ago, it wasn't going to serve me particularly well to put up a false image of myself because it would just be so far from the reality. So Mm. I've kind of come to a place where I'm very open about these things. Otherwise, I have to be this fake person. Uh, so anyone who asks, I'm willing to talk. So, How often do people ask? Not often enough. Uh, yeah. People avoid it. They shouldn't. And people like with the madness stuff, everybody's question is, are you medicated? Nobody's interested in, hey, what's it like to go mad? I think that's quite interesting. I, I think people should be asking about this. If this does go out and people I know are listening, feel free to ask questions. It's fine. Ask questions, or at least ask gem questions. When you're not mad, which is most of the time, What is the one thing, let's just choose one, but you can choose more than one that helps more than anything uh, to feel less shitty? Uh, Connecting with my friend, Ashley. Yeah. Go Ashley. Yeah. 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 She's a good one. Do you ever wish that any of those four attempts and or close calls had worked? No, no. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Are there any myths that you want to call bullshit on? Yeah, two. And I'm not sure they're exactly myths. People say, and I've heard this from my dad, that suicide is very selfish. It's the Mm -hmm. most selfish thing you can do. I think that's a load of rubbish. Mm. (laughs) I think that's actually quite selfish in and of itself because what it says, usually it's selfish because it will hurt those around you, right? And that's, that's totally understandable. But it's like the person in the position who's thinking about committing suicide is anticipating a life of suffering. Mm-hmm. So to flip it and go, you shouldn't commit suicide because uh, it will hurt other people is a way of saying you should stay alive and in suffering for other people. You mm-hmm. should suffer for others. I think it's bullshit. Yeah, if somebody's really, really suffering, they have every right to kill themselves. Yeah, that's my take, at least without it being selfish, because you don't know how much they're suffering. And when you're facing down the kind of life that I might be, tranquilization or hurting my loved ones, I'll hurt my loved ones and check out. Sorry. Second myth, not exactly a myth, but assisted suicide. I'm not entirely sure about this, but I kind of think it should be available for all adults. Um, I'm not sure how you would put red tape around it to make sure people aren't doing it too spontaneously. 
I don't know how it could expand well to the rest of society. But selfishly, I think if they're happy to enforce upon me a life of suffering, they should at least give me the option of graceful exit. I admit it's tricky. I can't stand fully behind what I say there. It's a very selfish thought. I want it for me. I want that option for me. And I'm annoyed that I don't have it for me. Okay. What do you think if, if, we, if we completely legalize that? Do you think that there would be just people offing themselves all the time? I think there'd be a lot more, yeah. The really dark thing is I'm not sure how bad a thing that would be. Is this, are we getting into some Darwinian shit here? What's going on? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. No, no, no. I would be much happier if those people had happy lives. But if they're right and their lives aren't going well and they're miserable and they want to get out, I think they have every right to do so. I also think it would draw attention to social issues. I think we'd have to actually start going, all right, people aren't happy and they're not happy for reasons and we need to do something about it. I retract a lot of this. But wait, wait, what? I think it would be good if people killed themselves. I just think, again, I think it's just expanding on how I feel. I would like the option. So I find it hard to justify me taking that away from other people. Right. But what's the argument against the idea that we allow people to die how they want to die? That people well, I think there's a morally kind of puritanical argument that that's just bad, that suicide just isn't good and people shouldn't. And, and, and that's rubbish. There's Could you make the same argument with abortion? Yeah, yeah. Which I, I, I would also say that the kind of morally puritanical argument about that is is also rubbish. Hmm. But I think the better argument is that people would do it spontaneously. People would do it who, if they had lived, would later come to regret it if they had lived. Right. So why not, why not make it so that you there's a minimum of a three-month waiting period? Yeah. Here's the big question. There will be people always with everything that kind of right. get caught up in something. Right? There's always someone that's going to cheat welfare. There's always somebody that's going to fake workman's comm. Yeah. There's always going to be someone we lose. What we don't talk about is how many people we're losing the way it is now because you can't measure it because you can't measure a non-event. So I'm babbling and I can't think coherently now. Let's save that one person at all costs. Well, the costs are probably 30 other people because the way you do that these preventative measures, these fucking incarceration kind of hospitals, this lack of care. Yeah, you might have forced that person to stay alive and maybe they'll thank you for it. 100%. How many people are not going to ever call anybody for help because they know that's what they're looking at if they do? It's really tough. I don't have a, I do not have an answer for it. Incredibly inhumane to force people to stay alive. Like you said, you can go jump off the bridge. Yeah. Right. So you can do that. I suppose that feels inhumane to me, though. It does. It's scary. I don't want to. I think about going to that cliff and I think about the edge. That's going to be horrible. I don't want to do it. And I don't want to have to think about if it goes wrong and I end right. up, you know, horribly power- and taking all these risks. Just if I've really made that decision, I'd like a clear cut way to do it. So maybe actually, maybe I'd like it to be a bit like vaping is right now, which is that it's illegal technically, but there are ways we can go about doing it. I think I'd like that. So I'm saying, or maybe a bit like how pot is in a lot of the world, which is right. it's illegal, but you can do it. So maybe that would be a better setup. I don't know. It's not going to happen. No, I know it's not going to happen. No. And if I could put it into policy, I I wouldn't because I'm not sure enough of my stance behind it. I, mm-hmm. I understand that I'm getting into some very dark yeah. territory. But I do want to float the idea. I do think it's not a repugnant idea and that people need to really consider it and consider what they ask of people by making them stay alive. I think that might be the intro piece right there, Jim. (laughs) All right. Anything else you want to add before we get back to our exciting lives? If there's anyone else a bit like me in Sydney, 
the mad movement in America and in Britain is really strong. The anti-psychiatry movement. It's a bit weak in Australia. We need to get together and do something. Even if it's like a hearing voices group, a hearing voices is a great organization. We've got one in Melbourne. We don't have one in Sydney. Um, I'd like one of those, please. And before we go, can you, because people might not be clear on what that even means, mad movement. I suppose it's people who have been mad, getting together, sharing their experiences, fighting to have a voice, fighting to have rights. Part of it is also the recovery movement, embracing the idea that recovery is possible and trying to figure out the best ways to do that. This kind of thing. Mutual support. Mm. My last question is, behind you is a white wall. Is your entire apartment just white? Yeah, I live in a white box that's extremely messy. It's really sad. I need to get out of here. I need to live with other humans again. Yeah, it's silly. I've I've let my living space turn into an expression of my, <laughs> my misery. Uh, thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for the podcast in general. It's awesome. You're very welcome. I hope you find at least a tiny bit of joy and or hope in the coming days and weeks. Hopefully. Even a fucking smidge of it would be nice, no? Thank you. No, I, I have fun. I have my fun. Yeah. All right, sir. Thanks again, and uh, we shall talk soon. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Take care, man. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Jem Down Under. Thanks, Jem. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. There are a whole lot of ways you can help us out in addition to listening, if you'd like. One way is to rate and review the podcast. That's available on Apple if that's where you listen. It helps people find it and we really want more people to find it. And check the show notes. I know I say that a lot, but you can find all kinds of other things going on if that is your jam. And that is all for episode number 159. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.